One single exchange in history stands tall. Our world changed forever. One man's life for the future of all. The exchange of God's son for the sin of the world. Death into life. God's plan for righteousness unfurled. As dark becomes light. Sorrow becomes joy. Freedom from chains, hope that fear can no longer destroy. Accepted, not rejected. For God sent his son. That our future could change. And this is the great exchange. Good morning. You all doing okay? That was really good for me. Can we give it up for Jesus, our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Hi. So grateful to be here with you all. I want to give a shout out to all the campuses, to the cafe, uh, to Leicester, and also to Cambridge. Special shout out to Cambridge. I was there Thursday. I went punting on the cam, and I didn't go in the water. I feel great. Um, grateful to be here with you all today. Uh, I consider uh, Dave and Karen friends, and I've already adopted myself into your church, so I'm family. You guys got to deal with that for the rest of your life. So I know we've only known each other for 45 seconds, but... I'm your cousin. Anyway, uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter number 26. The Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter number 26. We have been in a series called The Great Exchange. And we've been talking about this wonderful, magnanimous uh, exchange that Christ had with us. Uh, in his uh, both passion uh, and decision to go to the cross to die for our sins. That way, me, that way uh, we may be reconciled with our relationship with God as Father. If you look in uh, this passage, though, I want to uh, deal with uh, the narrative of the Garden of Gethsemane. As we know, Christ died for our sins on the cross, but uh, what was the precursor to him going to the cross was his decision to die in the garden. I believe there's some things that we can learn uh, today from this narrative. And so starting from the 36th verse, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. He became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping. 
for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. It is my assignment to teach from the subject this morning, dying inside. Dying inside. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray over the word before we get into it, shall we? Holy Spirit, give us the strength, boldness, and courage to die inside. Amen. Quick prayer. It's done. I am uh, intrigued and fascinated by Jesus's life, his leadership, his uncanny ability to take people that seem to not fit the qualifications and turn them into people that do extraordinary things empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's wonderful to have a relationship with Jesus where he puts his extra on your ordinary and you do absolutely supernatural things. Jesus' life was uh, a... a paradigm-shifting life, one that has split history uh, before him and after him. It is a life that, if we pay attention to it closely, uh, shows us how we should literally live and pattern ourselves after. When we think about the cross and we think about what happens in that moment, uh, we think about the physical death of Jesus uh, dying for our sins, bearing the weight and the anger, the wrath of God upon himself in that body on the cross to die for our sins. When we think about that, sometimes it's hard to get your mind around because we didn't have to pay that price. He paid it for us. But there is something that we can identify with, and this is what we want to peek into uh, today. It is uh, this narrative of Jesus in the garden that before he would go to physically die on the cross, he would have a moment in the garden where he would die on the inside before he died on the outside. I don't know about you, but, but uh, although I cannot relate to the deep anguish and distress that Jesus uh, felt when he was in this moment, uh, uh, if you're like me, there's, there's been moments in your life, whether you know it or not, where you've died a little on the inside. I'll give you one instance for myself. I uh, uh, used to eat a lot of fast food. I don't eat, an, eat a lot of fast food anymore, but uh, McDonald's used to be uh, one of my spots. And what I loved about McDonald's is uh, the apple pie. Uh, not the new baked ones they have, but the old ones that bubbled up with the crust. And when you bit into it, uh, uh, the apples would burn or singe the tip of your tongue. Do you, does anybody remember those apple pies? Those are the pies that the Lord was in. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think he was talking about that pie. Because I like to be like my father, I believe in 
uh, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the fact that God knows uh, the first from the last and the last from the first. And when I go uh, to a restaurant or go to have a good meal, I start from the last and work my way back up to the first. I always look at what the dessert is, and that will determine how I will prepare my palate for the dessert at the end. Are you with me? If so, say amen. When I go to McDonald's, I have the pie in mind. The burger, the nuggets, the fish that I have, those french fries that I'd have, that drink that I would have, is only to prepare myself for this delicious and wonderful pie. As I drive through uh, the drive through and stop and prepare myself and the voice crackles through the intercom, may I take your order? Yes, you may. <laughs> I would like a burger, fries, a drink, and that pie. <laughs> but if you've ever been like me, if you've ever experienced this type of moment where that same cheerful voice cracks the intercom again and says, I'm sorry, sir, we are out of pies. <laughs> you, you die. There's, there's a little bit of you that kind of dies on the inside. You may be more polite than me. I would carry on with the order and just lament the fact that I didn't get my pie, but, but not me. You might be more polite than me. When, when that happens to me, I drive off. <laughs> I don't want anything anymore. And it's really awkward when you go through the drive-thru and you did not complete your order and they look at you drive past and you're just like, mm-mm, bye. And you just go away. You die a little bit on the inside when you had your hopes up for something or you, you were hoping something went your way and it doesn't go your way. You die a little bit on the inside. You may have remembered in grade school when you liked a particular individual, you hope they like you back, but they did not like you back. They put you in that death zone. You know that zone. It's called the friend zone. And they said, oh, I like you more as a friend, or I see you more as a brother or a sister. And you were just devastated uh, because what you wanted, your way, your will did not come to pass. And Jesus is experiencing this in the garden. He's crucified before the foundations of the world, but now wrapped in flesh. After prophesying this for three and a half years of his earthly ministry, it's now culminating. It's coming to the point of fruition where he has to go to the cross and die for our sins. But before that physical moment begins, there is a moment internally where he's struggling to the point that it takes him back to one of his most familiar places, the garden, this place of olives, where there is a crushing of the olive that produces the oil. He is in this crushing, and before anything happens to him physically, he is feeling the anguish and distress mentally, emotionally, psychologically. He takes his three closest friends Peter, James, and John, and they go up to this spot, and he says, would you just pray with me? I am in deep anguish and distress. Would, would you just pray with me uh, during this time? And he sends them over to the side, and he goes about a stone's throw, 
and he says, uh, my father. Now, now I just want you to uh, uh, imagine this. If, if you've gone uh, uh, into uh, a prayer meeting and somebody says, you stay here. I'm going to go over in the corner and pray. And they say, my father. There's an exclamation mark behind it, so I know that his voice was raised. This was not a moment where he mumbled under his breath. He is speaking loudly. My father, if there's any other way that this could happen, please let it happen. But I do want your will to be done. But if there's another way, I would entertain the thought of that way. And somehow the disciples can find a way to nap through this. While he's in his deepest anguish and needs his friends around him, he finds himself in a very lonely and vulnerable position. He's dying on the inside. He's absolutely aware of what this moment means, and he is dying on the inside. There are three ways that Jesus died on the inside that I want to invite you to consider and go over with me before we see ways that we can join him in a great exchange. Three ways that Jesus died on the inside. Point number one, he died for our wrongs. I want that to settle and resonate with you for a moment, that he died for our wrongs on the inside well before he died for our wrongs on the outside. The distress and anguish that he felt, the thought of having to be disconnected, removed from communion with his father, was enough to drive him to his knees and say, there has to be another way. I cannot even imagine what it must feel like to be disconnected from God the Father. He died for our wrongs on the inside. The way that he felt in that moment is the way that we feel the moment we come into life. We are disconnected from our father, longing for a relationship to be reunited with him. And he's feeling this for the first time on the inside, the fact that I would have to be disconnected from God the Father over something he did not do. He's dying on the inside for our wrongs. He that knew no sin would become sin for us. He dies for our wrongs internally. Point number two, he died to his way. Jesus died to his way. Now there's something about Jesus' way and his will But every time I think about this, it is still a theological conundrum for me because it it is hard for me to comprehend uh, God wrapped in flesh. I know that this is divinity and humanity at the same time, but I see the text in the scripture where he says, I only come to do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where he tells me to go. I only say where he tells me, I only say what he tells me to say. But here it is. He's trying to figure out if there's a different way. Maybe we can go back to the Old Testament and find a a sacrifice that would be befitting for this moment. Maybe we can break out the red heifer and, and, and use it here. Is there another way that this can be done? He dies to that. 
He requests it, but he dies to it. If, if there is another way, could you, could, could you give it to me? Because I, I, I really need it right now. One thing that I love about uh, Jesus is uh, that he's hot. He's a really hot guy. Before your mind populates with attractiveness, I'm talking about a different type of attraction. Uh, hot is my acronym. You should write it down because it's very, very good. Honest, open, and transparent. He's hot in a way that allows us to see right through to his humanity. He is honest, he is open, and he is transparent. This hot moment in the Garden of Gethsemane is one of the main reasons, outside of his uh, birth, death, uh, uh, and resurrection, the main reason why I love Jesus so much and I will follow him anywhere is because he gives us this, this transparent moment showing us that he is transparent enough to let us see him struggle with God's will. Is there anybody else besides me that's ever struggled with God's will? with God's way. And he says, uh, I'm struggling with this. I I'll do it if you want me to, but is there another way? And then point number three, he dies to his will. Not my will, God, but yours be done. Whatever you want to happen, I'll do. But, 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 I, but I love I love Jesus. I, I, I love uh, the humanity of Jesus in this moment. He's, he's not the superhero that we sometimes make him out to be. He's a man who bore our griefs, our shame, our sin in a very broken and transparent way. Think about the fact that Jesus would pray three times just to see if his dad would change the narrative. That, that he would pray, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass, uh, but nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. He turns around and goes to check on his disciples, and they are asleep. This is the, the worst prayer meeting Ever? I would fire these people from my life group. <laughs> They're sleeping. He goes, you can't, it's, um, you, it's just, can you, an hour? I wasn't asking for an all-night prayer vigil. It's just an hour. And they're, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yes, of course we'll pray. And he goes back and he prays again, my father! <laughs> Maybe the second time he raises his voice for them more than him. He comes back again, they're asleep again. What kind of people, how are y'all, y'all are going to upset the whole world? Peter, your first message has 3,000 people getting saved in it? I can't tell. <laughs> he goes back a third time and scripture says, he prayed the same things again. Anybody ever prayed something more than once? Like you, like you prayed it like it was over, then you came back like 10 minutes later just to check. <laughs> you going to do it, God, or not? Good? Prays a third time, comes back, they're asleep. He goes, no, take your nap, stay asleep. 
Oh, 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 but look, it's actually the, the hours come. So up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And Jesus lets a man who's going to betray him kiss him on the cheek. I could not be Jesus. Because if I knew you were going to betray me, ooh, I would let you in the room, but you couldn't kiss me. If you can, oh, hey, Tim, it's good to see you. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. He lets Judas kiss him. Because at this point, he has made up his mind. This is settled. It's done. I'm going to do it. I'm not asking dad a third, a fourth time if this is what he wants me to do. I think the answer is very clear and I'm ready to do this on the outside because I've made a decision to do it on the inside. Listen, when you die on the inside, it makes it easy for you to live for Jesus on the outside. So there's an exchange here that we get to participate in. I want you to see this. We see that Jesus had three ways that he died on the inside. And here's the exchange. We get to die uh, like him in the same way. I want you to see the three ways we should die on the inside. Point number one, we die to our wrongs. Listen, point number one for Jesus is he died for our wrongs, but he gives us the opportunity to simply die to our wrongs. We should have all died for our wrongs, but that's what the great exchange is all about. What we should have had happened to us happened to him. He substituted himself for my sins. And he says, you don't need to die for your wrongs. Here's the only thing I need you to do, Tim, die to them. That the moment you come into a relationship with me, you just die to your wrongs. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. We just sang about that a moment ago. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are children, sons, and daughters of the Most High God. Galatians 2.20 says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How encouraging is this? That we live our lives according to the great exchange that happened on the cross. He died for our sins. We simply need to die to them. The moment we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can literally look at our past and go, this no longer is my narrative. My old self has been crucified. I no longer have to consider anything that has come in the past up until the moment that I met Jesus Christ that has all been forgiven. It is all over. I don't have to live in it anymore. I don't have to be guilty of it anymore. I don't have to think about it anymore. I am a child of God. We die to our wrongs. Point number two, we die to our way. We have this great moment 
to participate with Jesus in the same way he died to his way, we get to die to our way. Proverbs 14 and 12 from the New King James Version says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. Anybody ever had a way that seemed right? Anybody, anybody ever been driving with somebody who thought their way was right? And they're just driving along. They don't want to use the navigation system. I know where I'm going. And everyone that is in the car with them has to be held hostage to their way. Everyone except the driver knows we're going the wrong way. There's no way. This, no, mm, we're never going to get there. This is the longest route. We're never going to get there. Google's telling me the truth. You're telling me a lie. And have you ever seen the obstinance that sets in when somebody finally starts to get that sensation over their body? We're going the wrong way. <laughs> and it's hard for them to come off the fact that they're wrong. So they just rather waste the petrol <laughs> before they admit that you're right. They just rather keep going the wrong way. Mm. Can't admit it now. I'm all in on this one. <laughs> Sometimes it's the same way that we act with the Lord. We know we're going the wrong way and that, and that GPS on the inside of us, God's positioning system on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit, that gentle voice that doesn't sound like the nagging voice on your nav, but that beautiful, sweet, gentle voice that will never go above a whisper is going, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. And everything in you, mm -mm. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And you're like, no, no, you, you should turn around. <laughs> mm -mm. Cannot do it. Let me give you another example. This one might bring some folks some relief. Um, Facebook has completely changed the world. Uh, some in good ways and some in not so good ways. I'll give you one example. Um, we were supposed to go through our educational years, uh, meeting various people along the way, establishing some friendships, and maybe, perhaps maybe, uh, coming out of uh, those uh, 12 years of uh, education uh, with one or two friends that we might still be in contact with. Oh, but oh no, mm -mm. no. Facebook changed all that. You, you, you don't come out with one or two friends and maybe the rest that you just have fond memories of or not so fond memories of in a yearbook that you can just point to and go, oh, I remember them. No, mm -mm. Facebook brings them right here. They're just in your inbox. They're on your page. They're posting on your wall. People that you should have not ever heard of again for 20 or 30 years, you still know what they're doing today because they took a picture of their food and they sent it to you. It's ridiculous. You eat it. I don't need to see it. I don't care. But they do. They take a picture of it and then people like it. They like the food. Just eat the food. Why do, you, why do you have to tell me you like? Just, never mind. So, so um, uh, one time uh, I'm on Facebook 
And, and you know, th- there's people that you liked in high school and secondary school, and, and, and uh, then you're never supposed to see them again, except Facebook makes you see them again. And uh, I'm married now. Uh, May 1st will be uh, 18 years that I've been married to the finest woman breathing on the planet. My wife is half Jamaican, half Bahamian, super fine, and all mine. Her name is Juliet, and she's absolutely amazing. One day I'm on Facebook, and, and I remember uh, uh, a girl that I used to like on Facebook, and uh, uh, not on Facebook, but in school. And um, I saw her again. Remember, there's a way that seems right. And um, I saw her again on Facebook, and I was like, oh, dear. Thank you, Lord. There's a way that seemed right. But I'm so glad that you had a better plan for me than I even had for myself. L- listen, we need to trust in the Lord that, that when he tells us to go a certain direction, we need to go that direction and we don't need to ask a lot of questions when he tells us to do it. If he says make a right, make a right. But why should I make a right? I just want to pontificate on the fact that making a right at this juncture in my life just seems like the wrong move. Now, God, if you would have asked three years ago, should I make a right? I would have made a right right then and there. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. But now you're telling me to make a right just involves so much more detail. It's just a little cumbersome because I have a husband and I have two kids and my career is going this way. And to make a right now, the trajectory would actually hurt my neck and give me whiplash because if you tell me to make a right at a 90 degree angle, it might just throw my neck out of balance. Shut up! Make the right. His way is the right way, even when it seems like the wrong way. If you listen to God and do what he says, you will not regret it. It's his way. Point number three, we die to our will. We get to do like Jesus did. We, we, we died to our wrongs. He died for our wrongs. We died to our way. He died to his way. We died to our will. He died to his will. Matthew 6 and 10 says this. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, the, the great uh, prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray, taught them uh, to pray, included uh, this portion of Scripture Uh, that Jesus would have to apply to his own life, and he welcomes us and invites us to apply it to our lives as well. May your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is there. Let your will happen in this country as it happens in our home country. Let everything that you want to happen in the earth I give you permission for it to happen through me because I give up my will for yours. This is the way disciples die on the inside. Listen, if you are a believer, if, you, if you're doing it right, something like this should be happening every single day. A thought may pop up, a a circumstance might present itself where uh, you have the option of doing uh, your way and your will. But if we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will give us his way and his will. Think about the wonderful things we get to die to. 
to anger, to frustration, to lustful behavior, to bad paradigms of thought. He invites us every day to die on the inside. Take this moment to go into that spot, that, that, that sacred place of devotion where the Holy Spirit can identify some things to you and you say, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to think this anymore. I don't need to participate this, in this anymore. And I'm making a decision internally that I can express externally. For if we die on the inside, we get to live for him in a supernatural way on the outside. Dying inside for a believer is a wonderful thing because it allows us to live for him on the outside to do supernatural things. So can we die? It almost seems like a negative narrative, but, but there's uh, this last thing that Jesus says before uh, he goes on with this crucifixion. He says, up, let us be going. Let's be going. Time to get up. I'm not talking about this anymore. I'm ready to go. Up, let's be going. He says, look, my betrayer is here. And although that was a a negative situation that led to his crucifixion, there there is something else that happens in that same uh, kind of uh, atmosphere where the Holy Spirit comes into a tomb with a dead body laying on it, and the same implications are there. Up! Let's be going. Not the betrayer is here. The resurrection is here. Up, let's be going. And the stone was rolled away. And a body that was dead for three days gets up. We see him ascending in Acts chapter number one. But there is a time coming where the heavens will part. A trumpet will blow. And another of the same implication will come down up, let's be going. For all of those that believe in Jesus Christ, we will be caught up in the air, the dead will go first. Those that are still living will follow him. Up, let's be going. Our Savior is here. So, I've invited everybody to die today, but on the inside, you don't have to do it here, not now. That would be strange, and then we pray for resurrection power, and it would get awkward, but we get to do it on the inside, and if we do it on the inside, we would get to live this incredible supernatural life on the outside. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? In this moment, as we've prayed uh, for these services, what we have prayed is that uh, as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit would speak. There's a difference between Tim talking and the Holy Spirit speaking. The Holy Spirit says things and addresses things intimately involved with us on the inside of our hearts that I could never know. I would never be able to articulate we invite the Holy Spirit into this moment. And as you're having that moment of reflection, I want you to just consider what he's 
identifying to you right now? What area of your life may he be pointing to and saying, I I need you to die to that. I need you to die to that thought. I need you to die to that behavior. I need you to die to that anger, that grudge you've been holding. It's time to get over it. Up, let's be going. It's time to leave this right here and go to where God would have us to go. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I believe that we can have a hot moment like Jesus did. An honest, open, and transparent moment where we have to respond to what the Holy Spirit has showed us. And so if this message was for you, I just want to pray with you, but would you just identify it by raising your hand that God was speaking to me through this message. You, you should be proud to lift it up. God is speaking to me through this message. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a hot church, come on. This is, this is what God was speaking to me. I, I, need to, I need to die on the inside to some things. Thank you, excellent, thank you. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful for honest, open, and transparent people that would be like Jesus and bring those areas of anguish, frustration, confusion, just die on the inside. Holy Spirit, would you not let intimidation, fear, pride be in the way of us receiving your grace to die to attitudes, to ways, to our will that could be an obstacle course for your grace to freely run through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our hearts, identifying the spot that we need to die and giving us the strength and your grace to carry it out. 